0: Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast, deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. According to Ryan Holiday in his book, Stillness is the Key, the way that JFK was able to de-escalate the Cuban Missile Crisis was essentially through mastering his own thoughts by creating space and time for himself to think and space and time for his Russian counterpart to think as well. At the time, JFK was not particularly considered to be a good president, from what I understand or from what I say in the book. Um, A bit of a ladies' man, um, grew up quite privileged and so on and so forth. And uh, this was the first real test as president, and he was able to take take the situation and rather than have a knee-jerk reaction and, and just to um react to the russians putting nuclear weapons on uh, cuba and pointing them at america rather than just retaliating he was able to calm himself down and spend 13 or 14 days uh, de-escalating the situation and allowing the russians to save face as well so um anyway that's the first part of this book stillness is the key it's the first of three books i think i'm going to cover uh, by ryan holiday Uh, I first heard of Ryan Holiday when he he wrote a book called uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying, which I don't think I've done on the podcast, but I always plan to. That book, uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying, is about marketing and how uh, something becomes... Now, this was probably 10 years ago, so I don't know if it's quite the same anymore, but the way you can get something to uh, national-level media is by starting local, causing controversy... um, you know, beginning the outrage yourself, and is kind of almost setting the fire, and just kind of watch it go, watch it go wild, and watch it get picked up by the next level up of the media until it gets to national and international level. Uh, it's a crazy book. It's a mad book, just to, to kind of see behind the scenes for for how that's what he used to do was was to kind of help things go viral, essentially. But the the series of books that he's written is uh, this next. I suppose it is a series, kind of. It's all about the Stoic philosophers and it's all about what use because is really about is um, helping people to find inner peace. So he, he's he gone right back to the, the all the ancient philosophers to see what wisdom they have that still uh, translates into, into into how we are today or how we uh, live our lives today. So the first book that we're doing is this one, the Stillness is the Key. Um, there's another one called The Obstacle is the Way. And the third one then is called Ego is the Enemy. So stillness is the key is, when I read it, I thought, is this, I've read all this before, or have I? Uh, He breaks the book up into into three parts to understand what stillness is, why you want it in your life, um, and how it's going to help you. So the three parts, and you can probably guess it's mind, spirit, and body. There's nothing original in that, right? There's no... There's no, um, nothing groundbreaking in, in, in saying, you know, in order to, to find inner peace, if you like, or to find that stillness in your life, you have to think about your mind, your spirit, and your body. Grant, right? Like, that's fine. But where it's interesting is, like I said, how he, he reaches back to the ancient philosophers like, um, Marcus Aurelius or, um, the Stoics like, uh, Seneca and, um, Epicurus, I think is how you pronounce the other lad's name. Uh, how they lived their lives, what they uh, what they wrote in their essays and their letters, you know the, the rules that they lived by, the virtues that they lived by, or the epithets, as, uh, uh, I think it was Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius used to call them, what we would call virtues, like honesty, straightforwardness, um, calmness, all that kind of thing, they, they would be, the virtues is what they called uh, epithets. So he, he kind of, he, he mixes in, he mixes in modern day life, how we live, and talks about how these ancient ideas still hold true. So uh, in the first part, in part one, he talks about the mind, right? And, and each of the sections starts with uh, the domain of the mind, and the second second part starts with the domain of the spirit, and then the domain of the body. And the, the, the chapters are generally like three or four pages long each, and they kind of make a quick point and then and, and move on. So the first part is the domain of the mind, and he talks about you know why you might want to control your own thoughts, and he uses the JFK story about the Cuban Missile Crisis um, and how he mastered his own thoughts and why mastering your own thoughts can be of uh, great value to you and to everyone around you. Then he talks about becoming present, and he tells a story about a, an artist, um, Marina Abramovich, who sat in a, uh, a museum, an, a muse- an art museum, I think it was in the seventies or something, and she sat in a chair for eight hours a day, six days a week, and it was called the "Artist is Present." Was the name of the 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 piece, if you like. And what would happen is she'd sit at a at a table, like on, on, a, on a chair at a table, and across from her would be another chair. And members of the public would come in and spend a few minutes just being present with uh, Marina Abramovich. So they would, and a lot of them reported that like this is a really really profound. Uh, experience in their lives and uh, people queued for hours and, and days, I think, to, to, to get a few minutes to sit her So all she would do is sit there and make eye contact with people for, uh, for I don't know, a few minutes at a time, I suppose, or wherever long the person wanted to stay there, maybe. But interesting, right? It's not, not my kind of art, I don't think, but for for the artist to understand the, the, the importance of of being present, um. It definitely makes the point that you know if you can if you can sit and make eye contact with somebody, uh, for five or ten minutes, it can become a very very profound experience. And I've seen other documentaries about that kind of thing as well, where uh, that that kind of stillness or that that sense of being present in the moment uh, can really kind of knock you on your arse, <laughs> for want of a better phrase. Um, now, the third chapter he talks about is uh, limiting your inputs. Now, this is this is something I think. I don't know, am I, in, am I in my own little bubble here? But I deleted all of my social media a while ago because I'm. it's just scrolling through nonsense. And you're all the time looking for something that is... I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that's going to really excite me or really interest me. And there's things that I've clicked on on uh, on in, in news feeds and stuff. And I'm interested in reading it. Then halfway through the article, I think, oh, I'm not interested in reading this at all. So he talks about... Uh, limiting your inputs and he talks about napoleon back in the day who didn't open his mail for three weeks so he was always three weeks behind in any mail that he would receive and the, the reason was because the most most of the stuff would just sort itself out and if anything it was still wasn't hadn't sorted itself out then he'd respond to it it's all well and good for napoleon who's in, in charge of an entire army but it may not work in our day jobs if we just ignore our email inbox for for three weeks, in in the hope that it all sorts itself out. But having said that, there are companies who, when you go on leave, they the the out of office that you put on says something along the lines of, "I'm going to delete all of these emails. I'm out, I'm out for two weeks or whatever, and I'm going to delete all of these emails when I come back. I'll be back on this date. If what you're telling me is important, send it again. Right? Because I, I think that's a great way of doing it. Because I've definitely come back from. From leave before after two weeks and you've got like a thousand emails go what am I supposed to do with that like that's you spend a week then trying to catch up or trying to decide what's important and what isn't whereas if you have an out of office that just says I'll be back on this date send your email again then if you think it's important enough he talks about the CNN effect as well which is not new but that 24-hour news cycle where everything is breaking news like I watch sky news sometimes in the morning and and my, my eight-year-old daughter says, why is that breaking news? That's what, what like, she knows, like, she's eight and she can see that that's, that's not breaking news. That's just a thing that you're telling us. So that's CNN effective all the time, you know, uh, they're trying to kind of give, is, is it, I don't know the, the different hormones, but the, is it, are they trying to give us a, a dopamine hit or something? to uh to keep us interested and in what i think is interesting about the the sky news um station particularly in the morning so at the time of recording here i uh, kay burley is the one who does the, the the morning show and she doesn't spend more than probably 90 seconds on any story and sometimes it's to do with covid sometimes it's to do with some cute little bunny story sometimes it's to do with something random but it just keeps changing so kind of it's you're kind of your attention span probably is only 60 to 90 seconds so they're not going deep on anything she's just kind of bouncing from one story to the next to the next to the next to keep you there to watch ads when it's it's time for an ad break basically so that that idea of limiting your inputs I think is it's a great one and the reason I think it's great is because if you think about think about asking yourself this when was the last time you were in a conversation with somebody and you said I don't know enough about that to have an opinion and it very rarely happens. Everyone thinks they have to be up on everything all the time. And you don't. You can just switch these things off. You don't have to have an opinion on everything. And the, in the book, he quotes uh, Epicurus. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Ep, Epic, Epictetus, actually, not Epicurus. It's Epic, Epictetus. Um, and he says, the quote is, If you wish to improve, be content to appear clueless or stupid in extraneous matters. And that kind of reminds me then of the, the the Eisenhower decision matrix. If you haven't if you haven't heard of that before, look that up. So, um, um, what was his name? Dwight Dwight W. Eisenhower. I forgot that right. Uh, the president of America back in the day. He had these this matrix that was to do with if something was urgent but not important, which is he found most things would kind of fall into that that particular quadrant, and there was other things that were and not urgent but important and so on so like the 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 idea of that that decision matrix gives you a way to know well what should my inputs be and uh, what eisenhower discovered is that most urgent stuff is not important and most important stuff was not at all time sensitive like for example building relationships with people that's not urgent at all but it's so important like especially in your job in your uh, in your career, in your career, in your in your personal life, it's not urgent, right? It's not like a, a phone that's ringing, but it's probably more important than the phone call that um, that you're that somebody's trying to get through to you. So, limit your inputs. Think about how you actually, you know, uh, are are do do you feel the need to be on top of everything all the time? Because who like who cares? Like most of the stuff you can just ignore. You don't need to know, and it's perfectly okay to say. I don't know enough about that to have an opinion. You say that to somebody and watch the shock on their face because they thats just is not what somebody is expecting to hear from you at all. So, number four then is to uh, empty the mind, and this is uh, easier said than done. Um, without without question, uh, he he mentions a Zen proverb: "Chop wood, carry water." So when you're when you're feeling overstressed, when you're feeling uh overwhelmed you know that you're you you're you're drowning in emails or whatever chop wood carry water and all that really means is don't overanalyze just do the work just grind it out he tells a story about a, a baseball player he seems to tell a few stories about baseball players in in the book but there's a guy there was a guy called sean green uh who you know big up and comer and then all of a sudden just couldn't hit the baseball to save his life and he had to He had to deliberately practice emptying his mind of negative thoughts, and he said they were like uh, wild horses. These negative thoughts that come rushing into his head, and he just let those wild horses run right by, let their dust settle, and just empty the mind again. It's like when you know it's. I suppose it's kind of like the flow state that people talk about as well, where things just happen, or you kind of you know time passes, or time takes on a different um, a different meaning, maybe or something it's like when something falls off the table and you catch it you don't think about catching it you just catch it and you go how did i do that it actually reminds me of a time that uh, my 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 younger daughter I fell down the stairs in the house here and uh, i was downstairs i was at wasn't quite beside the stairs uh, i was at the, the hall table essentially but she started to fall and as she fell, I moved from the hall table to where she was falling on the stairs and caught her and still to this day. So that happened probably two years ago, I'd say. And my daughter still talks about it. Goes, remember that time you caught me when I was falling down the stairs? I don't know how I moved so quick. I don't know how I, I I still remember being halfway up the stairs and she was like head first coming down the stairs, uh, looking up and I had caught her like that. Like before she'd hurt herself, I, I, caught her i remember my hand was underneath her head and i had a hold of her body and i was like i don't know how i moved that quick <laughs> i've never moved that quick in my life but maybe that's something to do with that same kind of thing of of emptying the mind My daughter was fine by the way as well she's just not a bad runner um but that idea of emptying the mind is um it can happen in a moment but you can actually force it to happen as well through, through deliberate practice Number five, then, or the fifth chapter, I suppose, in in the first part, he talks about uh, slow down, think deeply. And he tells a story about uh, Mr. Rogers. Now, in Ireland or in Europe, we didn't have uh, Mr. Rogers, but Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Mr. Rogers, I think Tom Hanks did a film um, about him a while ago. And uh, Mr. Rogers was like the nicest old man in the world, and he would um, kind of give kids good lessons about how to live their lives and stuff. But he said at the start of every episode, it would start the same way. Uh, with and in the background of of when he you know uh, walk onto the the set or whatever at the start of the show, uh, there'd be an orange light blinking like an orange light in the um in traffic lights, and the subliminal message there was to slow down. Um, you don't have to stop, just slow down, just slow down and think, and that will help you find peace and comfort. Um, and in the book he, he gives ideas about how to of what to actually think about, I suppose. He says, you know, if if you can find a way to slow down and think deeply, you have to think about what's important to you. Like, what am I actually trying to achieve? Or why am I trying to achieve it? And what actually is going on? And what might be hidden from view? Here's a good one. What does the rest of the chessboard look like? And what is the meaning of life, really? Like, there are some pretty big questions. And, and later on in the book as well, he talks about asking especially people who are who are deeply ambitious is is to is to is for those people to ask themselves that question to give themselves a chance to think because they're in their head so much and they're all the time trying to achieve the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and, and you know i think on, on linkedin they call it hustle porn where you know i get up at 4am and I, I, I get three hours sleep a night and i work 100 hours a day all this bullshit like you know slow down and think deeply you can still have ambition you can still achieve whatever it is you want to achieve but make sure you're you're make sure you're climbing the right mountain i suppose is the is the um the bottom line with that uh the last two chapters then of of the first part he talks about journaling right which is something that i don't do it's i it's not something i've ever really been interested in doing uh but a lot of people do find it very useful where you just you you some people do it first thing in the morning some people do it last thing at night but just get all of your thoughts down onto paper without thinking so you just start writing and even if you're writing i don't know what to write this is so stupid i blah, blah 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 write it all down and the idea is that eventually some thoughts come to you or some uh some things begin to work themselves out what i find works for me if i'm struggling with something even a, a technical problem at work or um you know an emotional issue that i'm having i find that if i if I ask myself a question before going to sleep, or if I, it's not even that I ask myself, but I almost kind of bring the, the the issue to the front of my mind, and I have a very specific question or uh, a way of phrasing it that I that I'm I'm trying to solve it. Generally, not always, of course, but generally by the morning I, I, I have it sorted out. Um, it's something I've always been able to do. I don't know what it is or, or how I do it, but generally that that phrase of sleeping on something it seems to seems to work for me so yeah uh, I don't journal but maybe that's how maybe so maybe other people get to get to um get to the same state of mind um through that uh, cultivating silence then as well as chapter seven and uh, cultivating silence is really about um finding times in your day I suppose to, to do nothing to be bored I've said it before in this podcast that you know, if you're out with your significant other or friends or something in a pub or a restaurant and uh, you're left at the table by yourself, don't take out your phone. Don't don't look for that crutch. Try and sit in that awkwardness that you feel because it isn't really awkwardness. You're just sitting there. Just try and be still in that moment. Try not to give in to that. Um, like you, you don't have to cure your boredom all the time. So... I mean that's it's something I'm I'm no better than most at it, but uh, having deleted all social media from my, uh from my phone, I find it a lot easier to be to be calm and to to uh, not just kind of endlessly and mindlessly scroll through things. So, um, yeah, so cultivate silence. I said they were the last two. Actually, there's, there's there's not. I'm looking at the wrong thing here. There's chapter eight. Then is uh, seek wisdom. And the only way you're going to seek wisdom is by first of all admitting that you don't know everything and that you probably know next to nothing about most stuff. Um, And he talks about using the Socratic method where you just ask lots and lots of questions why that, why that, why that um, until you get to some sort of truth or some sort of uh, answer, I suppose. He talks as well about using, uh, adding in experience and experimentation. This is. A key thing, but any success you're ever going to find in life, and if the success here is to seek wisdom, you're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. Don't worry about it. Everyone fails, right? It's just about what what lesson you can pull from that failure. Or I don't think there's any such thing as failure. I think it's feedback. I think um, I, th- I, I personally use a different word for it. But then he talks about something I've talked about before as well. To so put yourself in tough situations. Don't seek comfort in life because you're never gonna get there all the time and there's no growth in comfort. What you need to do is to seek skills to deal with and master discomfort. So put yourself in tough situations and accept challenges and sit with doubt, right? Sit, sit with doubt that you might have about yourself, about a particular skill that you have. Uh, it's, the, it's the go first principles, what I would call it. Uh, you know, I don't have a problem doing presentations as long as I'm, I'm well prepared, I know who I'm talking to and so on. But there, there was a time in my life where I didn't have that skill to to stand in front of an audience and talk. So what I made myself do is to go first, if I was in, uh, in a situation where, you know, they needed a volunteer to, to stand up and talk, then I put my hand up first, and go, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, no problem, uh, without thinking about it. Uh, that's, I think that's how you, you kind of challenge yourself and kind of put yourself in a tough situation, going, "Oh Jesus, how am I going to get, get through this?" And there's a great thing. I remember hearing uh, the actor and, and singer and entrepreneur I suppose, as well, Jamie Fox talking about on, on a podcast ages ago. Uh, he says to his kids, if they're afraid of doing something, if they're nervous about something, doing something, whether it's a presentation or whatever and say he, he would say to his kids, "What's on the other side?" of that fear and generally there's nothing there there's there's your answer there's success or failure and one of the things I've started saying to my kids now as they're starting to kind of go out into the big bad world is uh, if fear is the only reason that you have to not do something you have to do it if you're if you have fear because it's dangerous then obviously don't do it if you have fear because uh you know you might hurt somebody else or whatever don't do it but if your only reason for not doing something is because you're afraid, you have to do it. You have to do the thing, whatever the thing is. Um, so say for for my kids, it could be like they're in a gymnastics competition. And they said, oh, "I don't want to do it." I go well, you have to do it. If if fear of of doing it is the only reason, then oh, you just you have to do it. I, mean, I can't, I can't, I can't let people opt out of things just through fear alone. That's the way I would look at it. Chapter nine, then he talks about find confidence and avoid ego. Um, there's a great quote from Colin Powell. Um, I think it was the Secretary of Defense or something for uh, for one of the presidents in America. And he says, avoid having your ego so close to your position that when your position falls, so does your ego, which is a great one. Like if you have to separate, it's like I, I, I said it somewhere else in, in another podcast as well about uh, your opinions should be uh like a a pair like like a a clothes that you wear and you change your clothes like you can change your opinion your your opinion is not you your clothes are not you so if you have an opinion on vaccines say for example you that's you can just get more information and change your opinion if you want to You, you don't have it's not a it's not an identity thing where i believe this and that's just how it is it's in my dna now so you can change those clothes. And that's what they're saying there is to to avoid having your ego so close to your position that when your position falls, so does your ego. And they they talk as well about uh, confidence. uh, Like, well, it says the name of the chapter is avoid, find confidence, avoid ego. And no one is less at peace than an egomaniac because they are incapable of learning from their mistakes because as far as they're concerned, they don't make any. Like Donald Trump absolutely find it impossible to even acknowledge that a mistake was made let alone that he made a mistake but the opposite then to an egomaniac is the imposter syndrome and what he says in the book is to replace both imposter syndrome and that uh, ego with confidence and confidence comes when it's earned, when it's rational when it's objective and that's that's how you find stillness in in your abilities as well as to is to find confidence and to avoid your ego is to not allow your, I always used to think about it as extracting emotion from a situation. Like if I gave a presentation and it went terribly, I don't, I don't connect that to my ego or I try not to, I try and, and be uh, left-brained about it, I suppose, and be analytical about it and to try and, like you says there to be, to be rational and objective. Okay. Why did that not work? Why did I think it would work? And why did it not work? So, having confidence in your abilities comes from um, being objective really and that confidence allows you to be reflective and it removes that unnecessary conflict like if i was an egomaniac or if i if i had any presentation that i delivered or a a podcast that i do if i had it too connected to my ego like if this doesn't go well then that means i'm a piece of shit right that's not going to do anyone any good but if I do a podcast and I'm not happy with it, I think well, why am I not happy with it? Maybe I was too tired doing it, or maybe, um, I didn't read the book um well enough, or I didn't take notes on it well enough, whatever. Right? So you have to you have to extract out emotion, or what they say here is to is to find a, find confidence and uh, avoid ego. The last part then of the f- the last part of the first part. Yeah. So part one is all to do with the mind, and the last part of it is to let go. Uh, The less you try, the easier it is to achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. We all know that as well. It's like looking for a job or something that you're sending out CV after CV after CV and then all of a sudden you give up. I just, I don't care. And then, you know, a job arrives in your lap. Maybe not exactly like that, but the idea, the sentiment is still true. I think that, uh, you know, just let things happen is to just to let go, just do the work, Uh, chop wood, carry water. Um, And it's, it's like me doing this podcast. If I... If I wanted to, this is now podcast number 52, I believe. If I had waited until I was absolutely brilliant at doing podcasts to do it, I would never do them. Because, you know, being brilliant or being perfect is a, is subjective. And uh, the only way you're going to get consistency is to is to chop wood and carry water. So just keep doing the work. So part two then is all to do with the spirit, right? The, the domain of the soul is what he talks about. And he starts off and he talks a little bit in, in this whole section here actually about Tiger Woods and how he had a dominant father and uh, Tiger Woods kind of had some sort of fucked up relationship with golf because his dad loved golf and that's how he got his dad to, to love him was to be brilliant at golf and probably a little bit uh, simplified but there's a lot in it as well because Tiger Woods has never had inner peace from from you know the the scandals if you like that he's had in his life uh, his addictions to it's all sorts of mad shit he was big into um training with the the navy seals for a while and they reckon that's where a lot of his injuries came from it was not like on the golf course it was doing this crazy training with the uh with the navy seals so tiger woods talks a lot about uh, beating opponents and um doesn't really talk that much about the love of the game and even when he wins always it's always there's always an intensity in him that Uh, it's hard to put your finger on, but it could be to do with what he talks about in this book is essentially having uh, a lack of stillness, a lack of, um, quiet time in his life of, uh, of thinking deeply about what he actually wants, you know? So in the book, he says that our soul is where we secure our happiness and unhappiness, contentment or emptiness. So if your soul is not still, if you don't have that stillness in your soul, uh, you might never reach that 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 can that level of contentment that you're looking for so it's it's heavy stuff but it's it's definitely something to be contemplated he talks then about choose, choosing virtues that, that that matter to you now one, I don't know one of the reasons I gave up uh, social media is the virtue signaling which was a is a phrase which is I don't know is it five, seven, ten years old maybe where people try and show other people how great they are how virtuous they are um, but Virtues are a good thing if you're, what it does is it gives you a moral compass or a moral code. And someone without a moral code is going to be exhausted because they they belabor every single decision. But somebody who has a moral code, their decision-making matrix, if you like, is, is easier because they have a strong moral compass that's going to guide them. So the Marcus Aurelius epithets that I mentioned at the very start is upright, modest, straightforward, sane, cooperative. And others that Ryan Holiday puts in on top of that then is honest, patient, caring, kind, brave, calm, firm, generous, forgiving. These are all virtues. These are all parts of of uh, of your personality that you can you can cultivate them. You don't you don't have to be born with them or to just you know I'm either patient or impatient. You can you can deliberately practice being patient. This can be your moral code. These things. Um what he says as well is there's a in the third third chapter here of part two to do with the spirit he talks about healing the inner child this is you know I I think a lot of people have um, childhood trauma and it's not a competition to have childhood you know whose childhood trauma is worse if if you did have childhood trauma that's your trauma right it's it's not about whether it's worse or better than somebody else's it's yours but you, you there's a great quote that I remember hearing years ago and it sounds really harsh but it's so true it's your parents fault you turned out the way you did but it's your fault for staying like that at some point you have to take responsibility to heal the inner child and one of the best ways I heard before about doing it if you do have childhood trauma that's undealt with is to write a letter to that child that that child version of you and tell them i like, you know it's terrible that you had to go through that but it all worked out and I'm going to look after you and I'm going to make sure that never happens to you again and to be able to uh, help that inner child feel safe right it's it's a it's a weird kind of it's a weird approach to it but it can it can really work to 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 help heal your inner child and he tells a story about da vinci leonardo da vinci who was illegitimate and spent who 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 spent a lot of his adult life um, walking away from um, patrons, right, people who were paying him to do work because uh, he had never healed his inner child. He was always looking for the for the father figure that he never had growing up. And uh, he kind of carried that with him a lot. Now, it led to a lot of incredible art and incredible uh, creativity, but um, he, he carried a lot of sadness with him as well. He talks about the, in the book, he talks about the word samsara, which is the continuation of life suffering from one generation to the next. My mother is a is a, uh, a couple's counselor. And one of the things she does is what's called a genogram. And when she was studying to be a counselor, I remember her telling me about these things were really interesting because if, if there's a couple, a, a husband and a wife, and they're, you know, bickering or arguing, or they're all the time falling out over money or, you know, uh, whatever the thing is that they're falling out over, uh, and they just can't seem to get past it, what you have to look at is not just the man's parents and the woman's parents, but you have to look at the the grandparents as well and think what trauma has has trickled down through the generations into these two people who want to get past this or want to to love each other, but through no fault of their own, they have uh, they've kind of in, inherited this this trauma or this kind of whatever way they were raised comes down from. Uh, Uh, from from generations they might not even know and it's about um, letting that go he tells a story about Gary Shandling the the comedian uh, who died a few years ago but when he was a kid his brother died and his mother was absolutely distraught but she was actually very controlling as well and she didn't want Gary Shandling to go to the funeral of his brother because she she didn't want him to see her cry and he came up with some rules um, for how he was going to uh, heal his own inner child. He said, I'm going to give more, give what you didn't get, love more, drop the old story. Very powerful stuff that I think to help heal your inner child and help you to get to that, that stillness. Chapter four then he talks about being, being aware of desire, like JFK, who gave in to every whim, or like Donald Trump, even just who's essentially a slave. To their urges because they're not free. If you're if you're all the time a slave to whatever just pops into your head, then you're like, who's driving the bus, you know? So these lusts that we give into sometimes, there's lust to have more, the lust to have an orgasm, the lust to whatever, right? And he says in the book that the most common form of lust is envy, and as a Churchill, I think, said that uh, you know holding on to envy. Is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Like it doesn't affect anyone, only you. I think it was Envy that he talked about with that. Uh, and I think there's nothing that clouds a person's judgment more than watching their neighbor getting rich. Most things are not zero-sum games, so Envy is, is useless. If they have it, you can have it too in most in most uh, most cases. Fifth chapter then is, is called Enough. It's about knowing when you have enough. There's a, there's a great idea that there's two ways to be rich, Uh, One is to earn more money, and two is to want less, which is a great way of looking at it. But um, he tells a story at the beginning of that chapter about uh, Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller, who are um, famous authors. Joseph Heller wrote uh, Catch-22, and they're at a party hosted by a billionaire. And uh, Kurt asked Joseph, he said, "'What's it like knowing that our host here today made more money this week than your book will ever make in a lifetime?' And then Joseph Heller said, well, I've got something he doesn't know, or I've got something he doesn't have. And uh, Kurt said, what? And he goes, well, I, I know that I have enough. Like this billionaire, will will he he's all the time striving for more and more and more, just once, 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 uh, keeps externalizing his happiness into things and he'll probably never get there. So one of the things, actually, it's, it was Billie Jean King, actually the, the famous tennis player, who said in the book that uh, sometimes the mentality that people have to get to the top is the same mentality that will not let you rest and will not let you enjoy your success if you're all the time striving 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 you, you never really reach that happiness you never really reach that uh, that inner peace or that stillness as i talk about in the book and um i think ultimately that's all we, we ever really want to do is to um is to reach that level of stillness chapter six bathe in beauty this is uh this is something I'm, I'm keenly aware of myself is to stop and smell the flowers, like go outside and what the, and, ha, uh, this is something I think it's probably becoming a bit more, uh, mainstream is to, is to go outside and take a forest bath, right? Just basically be in nature and just allow nature to heal. you. And there's, there's nothing like being in nature. There's nothing like going on a hike and being up a big, tall hill or a mountain and just breathing in the air enjoying the silence or enjoying the sounds of, of birds and insects and whatever, bathe in the beauty, right? That'll help you to find stillness. You have to get in touch with nature. It's like, uh, uh me and my family were on, on, on uh, I was going to say vacation. Where the hell am I from? We we're on holidays there a while ago, uh, just to Donegal. And we spent all day, every day on the beach. And just putting your feet into the water can be enough to reset you sometimes just to kind of let those little gentle waves lap up onto your feet i mean that's you, you can find you can find those moments of stillness in that chapter seven he talks about finding or accepting a higher power it's not necessarily about god it's about surrender um the the stoics would talk about uh, logos right the, the the path of the universe that um like I, I don't believe in organised religion really right sorry if that is offensive to anyone but I think it's silly Right? I think it's infantile but I but I read The God Delusion right the, the Richard Dawkins book and I remember closing it over going. he makes a very good argument for the, that there's no God but we're still here right where the fuck did we come from right what is what is the universe and I think there's a part of you that can always give in to well it's like trying to explain email to ants right you just can't do it Uh Maybe there's there's a higher power beyond us that we just cannot understand. Um, t- just a random story I, my my four year old daughter when who fell down the stairs a couple of years ago, um she came up to me two days ago and said, um, "Dad, there's nothing smaller than ants," and that was that's the end of the conversation. I'm not listening. Like she wasn't taking questions, you know, about about her statement. I said, "What about an ant's leg?" You should have. You should have seen the face. She's like, she was like, her mind was blown. She had never considered that an aunt's leg is smaller than an aunt, isn't it? She's like, yeah, and she had to go out and think about. It. God love her. She's only four. Um. Anyway, accept a higher power. Um. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can get on board with that one. I think. Um, not necessary that. Oh, you know, my life has been mapped out, and there's no point in trying because somebody somewhere is uh, is driving this bus for me. But again, thinking about my kids, I, I remember like when they were very young, um, and I'd have to get up in the middle of the night to feed them. Like, and I remember the t- the trauma of that of, of heating up a, a bottle of milk at you know three o'clock in the morning. And I remember every time I put the I used to put the milk into the into the microwave. Don't email me about that. I, like I, that's that's just how we did it, okay? Um, oh, you're supposed to put it into a pot of water. Fuck off. Um, uh, anyway, I, I put it into my grave for 45 seconds, and I remember I used to always just look out the window, out the kitchen window, and look up at the stars and kind of, like like that, almost accept a higher power, almost accept a, um, you know, I'm I'm small and insignificant and the only things that matter is what I decide matters. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, there's, there's something in that one, in, in accepting a higher power. Chapter 8 then is Enter Relationships we are nothing without our relationships a lot of people like to live like like they're an islands like the guy in a, about a boy the, the Hugh grant character in about a boy you know it's like any time you've you've ever gotten a success in your life the, what you want to do is you want to share it with people and um like that's that's a fundamental thing about about life really like you, you want other people to share it with so find good people to build relationships relationships with Um, and there's a great quote then from cicero in the book as well he said who is there who would wish to be surrounded by all the riches in the world and enjoy every abundance in life and yet not love or be loved like what is the point in anything unless you unless you're loving somebody or unless you're loved by somebody Find some good relationships, find some good peoples and uh, hold on to them. Conquer Anger is number nine. He talks about um, uh, Michael Jordan when he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, for basketball. And uh, he made an impromptu speech. And in the speech, I I, I didn't look it up, but I I read about it before. I read about it in this book as well. This impromptu speech that that Michael Jordan made um, when he was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Basically, he went right back to high school in his head. And went through every slight that he that had ever been leveled against him, and uh, just listed them all off. Like my high school coach said, "I'd never do this." Uh, somebody else said, "I wasn't tall enough wouldn't Like I'm like Jesus, like let it go. Like it's he th- and in in the book, uh, Ryan Holiday makes the point that Michael Jordan thinks he's showing what it takes to win, but really it's just sad because he, he hasn't conquered his anger. He hasn't let go of those things. Um, and you might say yeah well he uses that to 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 fuel a success but great but he's not happy he's not happy in a success he's it's he's doing it to spite other people almost and you know you can't you you can use anger sometimes Anger can be a useful emotion but don't use it as your fuel the last part then the last chapter in the second part is all is one um he talks about um he talks about, you know, deliberately wishing well for other people. Um, you know, the, there's a, a German word, word uh, Schadenfreude, is that how you pronounce it, Schadenfreude, which is like enjoying other people's um, misfortune. And he says that you should practice Mitfreude, Freud, which I assume is the opposite, which is uh, um, you should wish well for other people or you should enjoy other people's misfortune. Um, Uh, wins essentially and there's a type of medication meditation uh, called meta meditation and it's about loving kindness it's about when you're meditating to actually um, bring somebody to mind it could just be an acquaintance it could be somebody um, who you see on the bus every day you don't even know and just wish them well in your head and you can even do it to yourself then you can you can eventually circle back to yourself and go, you know, look at yourself objectively and, and, and wish yourself to, to, to be well. You share happiness and sadness with everyone who's ever lived. Right. You know, that if you, if you're ever struggling to connect with people or to, you know, you're in a, um, a shitty negotiation or, um, you know, there's a colleague who's doing your head in or something, keep in mind that they have hopes and dreams. They have happiness and sadness. In their lives just like everyone who's alive right now and everyone who has ever lived and ever will live we all have we have this shared um connection i suppose of of living a life deeply um which is what most people do at some point they they feel things deeply and um you have that connection with people there's a great thing in in nlp and in, in neuro-linguistic program these presuppositions one of them is that everyone is doing the best that they can with the information that they have and if you approach every person even the person who's screaming at you in traffic and think they're doing the best that they can with the information that they have and you might say well how does that make any sense if you imagine somebody screaming at you in traffic all they're trying to do is get inner peace right like all of us right which is very lofty and it's a weird thing to be thinking about when somebody's in traffic but if they're screaming at you, you can be sure it's nothing to do with you. It's it's the way their life has panned out. It's the way their day has gone that they just, they're all they're trying to do is release that pressure valve. And you just happen to be in the firing line. That's generally how it goes. And if you meet that with loving kindness, you can do a lot for, you can do a lot for yourself and for other people as well. Like in customer service, when somebody, somebody rings up or emails into customer service and, and, um, you know, they just fly off the handle. There's no point telling them to calm down. You have to meet them with love and kindness and, and in your head say, you're, you're clearly very angry about this and you're, you're clearly very upset or very stressed. Um, tell me what I can do to, to help alleviate some of that stress or, you know, meet them with love and kindness. And that's again, he says that, you know, with this all as one idea, he says that we're all strands in a long rope that stretches back generations and includes every living person on earth. No one needs to know this more than the ambitious. They're in their head so much. And it's so true that, you know, if you are that ambitious type, it's okay to be ambitious, but stop and smell the roses. Understand that we are, you know, this idea that we're all part of, of one big consciousness is a bit fucking lofty for my, uh, for my little tiny brain, but maybe there's something in that, you know. It was like that when we got here for all of us right nobody invented money nobody invented capitalism or the or you know the the nine to five it was like that when we got here for all of us and it's like that for everyone else as well so you have to kind of keep in mind that everyone is doing the best that they can with the information that they have third part then is about the body Now i think some of this stuff probably fits into the spirit or the mind part as well but we'll we'll go with it right the um the idea of, uh, of looking after your body, the domain of the body, he talks about uh, Winston Churchill and how he was, rotund. I think is the word that they use for him, uh, not in good shape, right? And I think he was 66 when he took over as prime minister um, leading up to, to World War II. But the 10 years before that, he rested. He was in the essentially in the political wilderness. But it gave him a chance to really reflect on Hitler and on Mein Kampf, the book that Hitler wrote, and to really understand that there is absolutely no, there's no way you can appease this madman. There's no way of um, of doing a deal with the Nazis, which is what uh, Chamberlain, ne- Neville Chamberlain, I think, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to all the time appease Hitler, and Hitler just kept pushing forward, forward, forward the whole time the simplified version of what happened in World War II. But uh, so so when Churchill got into power then he declared war on in in nineteen thirty nine on Hitler and said, That is enough. Enough is enough. But because he'd spent ten years um in the political wilderness, writing books, painting, um, getting a hobby, like all of those things matter because it, it prepared him for the frenetic, is that the word? Frantic rush of world war ii he was able to do it then so what they talk about in in the ryan holiday talks about in the domain of the body is uh is to rise above your physical limitations find hobbies that rest and replenish have a disciplined routine get active outdoors seek solitude learn to sit get enough sleep and commit to a cause bigger than you i cannot agree with that last one more commit to a cause bigger than you the reason I keep pushing on with use cause soon to be changing its name. Stay tuned. Um, it's, 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 I truly believe it's a, it's a cause bigger than me. And uh, that's, that's what kind of um, pushes me on all the time. So other things that they talk about in the, in the, the, the body section is to say no, is, is to learn to say no. And he tells a story about, um, uh, in ancient Rome where there's a guy called Fabius or Fabius and uh, he was in a war essentially with the, with this other fella called Hannibal, and Hannibal was invading Italy, but Fabius waited because Hannibal's men were kind of slowly dying from the inside out almost like they were uh they had no provisions they had no real protection against the elements that kind of thing and Fabius was seen as weak because um he wasn't taking action, but by not taking action, he was being quite clever um and eventually the you know, long story short, the, the Romans saw saw the the intelligence and how Fabius was was approaching things. And it's the same thing as as JFK in the in the Cuban missile Crisis. He he didn't react, he did nothing. And sometimes doing nothing or saying no is is the right move. Say nothing till you hear more to, to quote Bill Cullen, uh, the, the 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 famous guy who presented the apprentice here in Ireland. Chapter three then he talks about take a walk right lots and like there's not some of these chapters now towards the end of the book they're good but you know you skip through them pretty quick basically chapter three or in in part three take a walk essentially lots of people had good ideas on walks right like steve jobs and um william wordsworth and um all these people back in the day all had great ideas when they were out on walks. and i i would agree with that myself i sometimes go out for a walk and, and bring a podcast but the the ones the times I find more satisfying myself is when I go out for a walk and um be alone with my own thoughts and you kind of usually figure something out or you think of something or um so I'm gonna put myself up there at William Wordsworth. I, I have some good ideas when I go walking as well. Chapter four then is to build a routine. Uh like like they talk about in atomic habits, um, excellence is a habit. Um it's something that you do every day. And chapter five, get rid of all of your stuff, right? This is true of all of us. We all have too much stuff. We don't need it. Um, It's like the, the, the adults, the parents, uh, working all the hours God sends to spend, to, to, to pay for a house that they don't ever spend any time in, right? Um, or famous people who are um, just go, go, go all the time and they're strangers to their kids because the kid uh, never sees them, right? So and I'll leave you with this one. Uh, One of the chapters is called Seek Solitude. There's a quote from Billy Connolly, the famous comedian, that when he came home from tour, right? So he'd go all around the world um, doing his jokes. When he'd come home, he would spend a long time down the back of his garden, which I assume was like a big garden. And he'd bring his ukulele with him. I think he was big into playing or is big into playing the ukulele. And he'd have a little river at the end of his garden and go and sit there for hours on end. And his wife, Pamela Stevenson, used to take offense to this because, you know, you've spent all these months away from us and the kid, from me and the kids. And uh, as soon as you come home, you know, you want to be away from us. And he had a great quote, that I think I'll leave you with. And it was something along the lines of uh, being by myself is not about the absence of others. It's about the presence of me.